Um, it's good to be with you guys, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Sabbath or Shabbat. Um, in, our, in our culture or in our society, we spend a lot of time thinking about how to be more productive. Uh, if you th- go to a bookstore, uh, you will have an entire section dedicated to make you more productive. How to think better, faster, make better decisions, time management, how to be a ninja guru leader, all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like the whole world's focused at that. Uh, but when last did you pick up a book or uh, uh, hear something spoken about, about how to rest better? I mean, how, you know that, how do you get into that state of rest? Like, you know, sometimes on some Saturdays or sometimes of the year, you actually get to that point where it literally feels like your soul goes, <sighs> do you know how to get yourself there? Because rest is crucial. You're only going to work as well as you are able to rest. Uh, and so there's all like the, you know, driven people like, okay, now I'm signing up for rest. Don't just, I'm going to incentivize me for rest. Um, but the amazing thing is that God cares about rest. Uh, and he actually gives a command to his people, Israel, to do the Sabbath. Okay. And so I lived in Israel for four years. And so what happens is every uh, Friday at sunset, um, from sundown Friday, it is actually the start of their day is with sundown oddly enough. So until Saturday uh, sunset is a day of rest. And so on that day, all the buses stop, all the shops close, all the restaurants close. And you know that day you get the feeling you get once a year on Christmas where it feels like everything, but now all the shops are open anyway, but just you don't go. Um, But it's like it feels like everything stops. It's like that every Friday. And no one thinks you're lazy if you sleep till 12 because there's nothing else to do. And so it really is a day for family. It really is a day for rest. Uh, It's customary for men to come home with a bunch of flowers for their wives. Uh, And there's no cooking on Shabbat, which is awesome. So if it's not cooked before, you're just going to survive on peanut butter sandwiches. You know, it's like everyone gets permission to rest. It's also you honor God on the Sabbath by, if you're married, by having nuki. So that's always incentive to keep that. And uh, it's literally, and so that's like a a religious practice. Now, if you think of the religious practices we have, uh, we don't think about all of that stuff as this is how we honor God. But God goes like, this is the way you actually build a culture that enables people to rest and enjoy life. And so uh, for us, we've got to learn a little bit harder. And, And the Sabbath always starts with a meal, a traditional meal where you, it's actually Shabbat's, uh, the, the communion, you see the roots of it from the Jewish faith there because you start by blessing the bread and sharing and blessing the wine and sharing. And they actually pray this prayer, uh, thank you, Lord, for the fruit of the vine. Thank you, God, for wine. Again, not really was in, in the Christian tradition I grew up with. Um, and so there's a sense in which we get to celebrate resting, being together as a family, switching off, cell phones off, TVs off, everything off, and engage. Um, and it's, I always had this weird experience because I used to do this other thing. And like by about 11 or 12 o'clock on Saturday, I was freaking out like I should go and do something. And I just knew if I laid on the couch for another half an hour, I would go, because it's actually hard work to get to that place of rest. Because we're driven to go and do something. It's my day off. If I've got to make the most of my day, 
And sometimes the most of your day is doing nothing. Uh, and so Nat's wanted me to share the story, and she's inviting you all to her house this coming Friday for a Sabbath meal together, and you can do whatever you want with the rest of your Sabbath. Um, but it's an amazing time together to actually be together. And to When you start a meal together with prayer and communion and you share, it's amazing how a sense of God's presence starts to invade your day, and you actually get to, you bring structure to rest, because we just think rest will happen by itself, but it doesn't. We've got to work at it, at it a little bit. So uh, Nats is inviting you to her house this Friday. Bring some food and some drink. And uh, if you want more information, talk to Nats. Um, so today I'm going to be speaking into this in this home series. Uh, and it's really around the culture of this place. What are we trusting God to build in this space? What do we want God to build within this community? And that's why it's in this home, not in this house. You know, because you've got that cheesy wall art. I mean, some of you might have it, then it's not cheesy, then it's cool. But, but if, um, if you don't, then you can... Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. Um, <laughs> You know, in this house we, and it's all the rules of engagement for the house, and uh, it's, it's interesting because really what we want to say is like, well, what do we want in this home? What do we believe God's calling us to build? What are we trusting to build in this space? And today, uh, last week, um, there was an interview, Steve interviewed Dave around, around generosity, and today I really want to uh, hone in on the issue of faith. Uh, and the promises of God, and particularly in the area of finances, because it's such a great object lesson for us to, to learn. It's a very practical way that generosity has lived out. Um, but I want to start talking a little bit about culture. And to do that, I'm going to use an analogy. Uh, I'm going to educate you about rip currents. Now, you guys are all on the coast, so you should know about rip currents. If you don't, I'm going to educate you so that you I could save a life today. Okay, so rip currents basically work like this on the beach. We've got to, you probably see these boards in different places, but what generally happens is you have two breaks, one over here and one over there, and in between there will be a lull because all that water that gets pushed up onto the beach has to go somewhere, and so it flows out and it flows together and it goes down in one space. And the reason the waves don't break there as much is because uh, that rip current, the water flowing out, actually digs away the sand underneath, and so you need sandbanks in order for waves to break. And so when you, if you're a surfer or you're a spear fisherman like I am, and you want to get out, you stand on the beach and you look for a rip current. You say, where are there no, way, no waves breaking? I can see the water pulling out, because if you jump in a rip current, it will pull you out. So sometimes I got pulled all the way out without having a single wave break on me, without having to duck a single wave. And, um, and also you feel like an Olympic swimmer, because you're just flying along. You know? It's like, if you're stuck in a, in a current and you want to go that way, it's awesome. Uh, if you're stuck in a current and you want to go against it, it's a little bit troublesome. And I've had experiences uh, where after like three, three and a half hours of, of spearing, um, I'm really tired. I want to come in now, but now I can't survey the landscape to see where the current is because my head's, you know, this far above the water. Uh, and so then, then you're going. And I've literally had moments where I've been finning as hard as I can. My fins are long, like about a meter long. Finning as hard as I can, and I'm still getting dragged backwards, which is disconcerting when you're really tired, and then obviously my hamstring starts to cramp, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, just send a wave now. And it's like, because swimming against the current is really, really difficult. Culture is a current. When you go with culture, you fly along. If you try and oppose culture, it's really hard work. And when culture's bad, you, you should oppose it. But when culture's good, it can help us to fly along. And so what we want to do in this church is we want to build good, godly culture so that when people come into this space, 
They can fly along in their faith and they find it so much easier to grow in their faith because isn't that just how we do things around here? So what I really believe is that when culture is right, what took us years to get to will take other people months. What took us months to get to will take other people weeks. I don't know if you've had this experience where it feels like you've been journeying with God for so long and you're like, and I'm still dealing with that thing. And you're like, what's going on? And you just wish it was faster. Or you, you meet a new believer and you're like, oh, so, but I know this is going to be a long journey. But the reality is, is that if enough people have gone on that journey, then they've got enough to share so that the lessons that you learned by yourself in isolation, you've got people speaking to your life. And what happens is that the same thing that you learned over years, they can learn in months. And isn't that wonderful that as a product of your own journey, you can give it away freely to other people so that they don't have to take as long to grow as you did. Let me give you some examples uh, from history. Two examples. The first is being filled with the Holy Spirit. When people in the Western world, I'd say, uh, first started getting filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, for a long time, people didn't believe in being filled in the Holy Spirit. They didn't believe in the gift of tongues or interpretation or words of knowledge or words of wisdom. They believed that that had died out with the apostles. Uh, and then uh, there was an African-American church in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles uh, called the Azusa Street, at Azusa Street, and they started to preach that the gift of the Holy Spirit was for today, and you could speak in tongues. Except they started to preach it, this guy, William Seymour, started to preach it before anyone in his congregation was speaking in tongues. <laughs> That's called faith. And so he was preaching this and preaching this and preaching this, and then once they had a 10-day prayer meeting, and after 10 days, the first person was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues. It wasn't even him, the guy who was preaching. It was someone else in his community. They, they prayed for 10 days for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But from that place, they reckon about 600 million believers from all over the world can trace their roots back to that little church of about 30 or 40 people in a place called Azusa Street, which is interesting because you're in a little church of today, I'd say 30 or 40 people in a little place in the North Coast. And in an environment like this, God did something that touched 600 million. Just think about it. You got faith for that? <laughs> I don't think they had, I don't think they could see that far down the road. And the amazing thing is that so I'm, I grew up in Assemblies of God, and if you're Pentecostal, if you're Charismatic, uh, the guys, if you follow Bethel or any of these guys, they'll all trace their roots back to eventually to Azusa Street. And what's amazing about it is now we have get full evenings, and I regularly pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I fully believe that in three minutes they'll get filled with the Holy Spirit. Like if I'm struggling with faith, maybe five. Not 10 days. Why? Because those guys fought for something and I'm living in their victory. They fought for it and the generation after that fought for it and the generation after that fought for it. Another example is the gift of healing. At the moment, in our churches, we see people getting healed regularly. But when I was a wee snapper, nap, nipper, nipper, a snapper, nipper, when I was young, um, it's like if one person got healed in one church somewhere in Durban, every church was claiming it. People are getting healed in churches, in our churches, you know. And it's like, like we believed in healing technically. 
but we didn't really see it happening all that often. Anyone know? Anyone been around for like 20 years, 20 odd years? And it's like if one person got healed in a year, it's like, yo, you lived on the high of that miracle for like three years, you know? And today we fully expect that people will get healed regularly in our midst. And we're seeing it happen in churches around Durban. We're regularly seeing it happen. I was praying for someone, and, uh, and she was deaf, and God just gave me a gift of faith for that person I prayed for, and she, her hearing was restored, just like that. And I was like, oh, well, that's, isn't that what happens in our churches? But it wasn't like that. Like, I remember when it wasn't like that. And what happened is that people fought for faith. And other people entered in and came into their current that, that they had created and started living off their victory and adding their victory to it. And the next person came in and lived off their victories and added their victory to it. And so what I'm saying is, is that the things you fight for, when they become culture, have an exponential effect because other people live in the flow or the slipstream that you've created. And so what you fight for as a community is absolutely crucial because I really believe that there will be people that come through these doors and will get swept up in what God's already built in this community and God will use it to radically change their life and maybe it took you years to get to that point but it might take them months. Maybe in your area of your marriage, you've done some hard yards and you've really learned some stuff but for someone else, they will get there so much quicker because of the slipstream that you've built. And so what we fight for is crucial. And so I really believe that God's called us to be a people of faith. That goes without saying, because this is the Christian faith. But what I'm saying is, is that out there, maybe in the world, like out there, it's normal for people to have fear, to worry about money, to worry about the economy, to worry about things. But in here, we should say, well, that's, it's normal for people to have faith. And we want to get to the point where it's strange that people have fear, because when people come in here, with all that fear, with all that apprehension they come in here and they come into a people of faith and they're so changed by it that they find fear weird and faith normal because that's how God builds culture and he builds into us and so I'm going to get a little bit into the area of finances and again before I get there I want to speak about something else about the promises of God because it's not just that we have faith is that we have faith in God and his promises. You know, you can have, uh, when God's made us a specific promise, then we know that we can have faith in that thing because we know who he is and he's faithful to his word. Let me look at some passages about promises. 2 Peter 1, 45. And because of his glory and excellence, that's the glory and excellence of God, he has given us great and precious promises. You know those moments in worship when you're so caught up in his presence and you're just like, God, you're so extraordinary. You're so deeply beautiful. Out of that, his glory and excellence flow his promises to you. It's a product of his nature. And he's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. You've got to understand that if you live by the promises of God, you will share in his divine nature. If you live by the human desires, you'll share in the world's corruption. They lead to different spaces. Isn't it amazing that that when we believe in the promises of God, we actually share in his divine nature? In other words, we begin to look like God. 
is called being godly. Why? Because his promises lead us and shape our very beings to look more and more like he does. Abraham was the father of faith and God made him a promise. He said, I'll make you into a great nation. You'll be blessed and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Imagine hearing God say, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, Steve. Like all, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Imagine hearing that and actually believing it. And so the other thing is imagine being told that you're going to be the father of many, a great nation and you don't have any kids, you're infertile. And so there's this journey of faith that God took Abraham on. So the promises, so the promises received by faith, it is given as a free gift. Isn't it amazing it's given as a free gift? Not that I have to go do something to get those promises. It's a free gift. And the moment you, you know, sometimes, have you ever had someone give you a gift, like a birthday present, and then that thought hits you, but I didn't buy you a present. Oh, maybe I'm going to do something. Maybe I should invite you over for dinner now. All of a sudden, the gift is no longer free, and it's no longer a gift. Now you've got to earn it. It's given as a free gift to us, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, in other words, our behavior, how well we live, if we have faith like Abraham's, for fa- Abraham is the father of all who believe. In other words, this isn't just for certain people, we're all certain to receive it. Another verse in Promises, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Have you ever read a promise in the Bible and you're like, yes. And then you've read another promise and you're like, ooh, I hope so. Like that one for me. Like maybe that was just contextually for these people in those situations and not really for Like you talk yourself out of that promise because actually you don't think you deserve it. And what this says is for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the... Let's get Pentecostal right here, right now. And so him, the amen. amen, is spoken by us to the glory of God. You know how this works. God goes, I've made you a promise, and you go, amen. which means so be it. In other words, I agree with you. If you've made me that promise, so be it. I don't get to argue with you, and I don't get to talk my way out of this promise. I just get to say, so be it, amen, because that's called faith. It's amazing that the promises of God are a free gift. They're without toil, but they're not without faith. And we bring our faith to bear on the promises of God. So let's get now into this issue of finances and generosity. There are some promises for your finances. Matthew 6.33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And the context of that is all these things is certainly financial provision. Because what most people do is they say, well, let me seek all these things, and when I've got enough, then I'll go and seek the kingdom. Let me just take care of like a good foundation. Once I get the foundation, then I seek the kingdom. God says, no, seek the kingdom, and the, what you need will come. It's a radical reorientation of our life. Philippians 4.19, at the same as, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He's going to supply all your needs from his glorious riches. 
I, I like that he doesn't supply all our needs according to our need. He supplies our need according to his riches. It's a different thing going on. And this is just two of these, the promises of God in this area. And here's the thing is that God has a financial future for you. And it's very clear from 2 Corinthians 9, we're not going to look at it now. God wants to provide for you what you need and enough to be generous with. Provide what you need and enough to be generous with. And so here's the thing is that most people are going, God, if you give me enough money, then I'll stop worrying. And God says, stop worrying. (laughs) Have faith and I'll provide for you. Because what most people think is the reason I want money is so I can stop worrying. Have you ever seen rich people worry about money? Statistically, more than people with lack. They are more anxious about finances than people with lack. Why? Because they told themselves, if I get money, then I don't have to worry. And now that they've got money, they're worried about keeping the money. And their lifestyle has grown to a standard. And now they've got to maintain their lifestyle. And they're impressing people. And it all becomes convoluted. and Because the whole point is that God hasn't made your heart to be satisfied by, by, by finances, but by a father who cares for you and will look after you. And so God has a financial future for you is that you don't have to worry about finances and that you'll have enough for your needs and plenty left over to be generous with. And so he calls us to faith. And so I'm going to discuss a single faith principle. It's called the principle of first fruits found throughout the scriptures. Just to help you realize where you are at with your own faith journey and to trust God. Genesis 4, 1 to 5. Now, Adam, this is really early in the Bible, if you hadn't noticed. Fourth chapter. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And so Eve has had two sons, Cain and Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And we know the story that Cain goes on to kill Abel, to murder him. I always puzzled about this because I was like, they both brought offerings to God and one was accepted and one wasn't. And when I was a younger believer, I was like, it's obvious God's not a vegetarian. (laughs) Because Cain brought crops from the ground and God didn't dig it. And then Abel brought some lamb and obviously lamb's better than mealies. (laughs) But that's not what it means. There's two words here that we're going to highlight to help us figure out what's going on. Oh, I also want you to know that at this stage, God had given no clear instructions about offerings. Those came later in the law of Moses, which was a few thousand years after this. And so God had given no clear instruction, but there was a principle in God that existed before any clear instruction. And actually, the instructions make that principle clearer. There it is. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Can everyone say First. Nice. Oh, getting Pentecostal. The other thing here is this is about Cain. Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops. Everyone say some. That's the difference between the offerings. Abel brought the first 
of his increase. Cain brought some of his increase. What's the difference? So Abel was, uh, was a shepherd, and so when he had a sheep, and the sheep would have its very first lamb, he would take that first lamb and say, God, I'm giving this to you as an offering. You know what that is called? It's called faith, because if that sheep doesn't have any more lambs, well, then you gave away the only thing that's going to sustain what's lost when that sheep dies. And so the only way you do that as a farmer is you give away your first, believing that God's going to provide more. Cain, on the other hand, gave some. So what happened is he harvested, and when he saw, hey, I've got enough for me to be all right, now I've got some to give to God. The one's faith, the other one's not. And stewardship's very important, but sometimes we call stewardship we highlight stewardship because we just don't have faith. Stewardship can't negate faith. We lead with faith and then we steward afterwards. Let me put this in a modern day context. You get paid a salary at the end of the month and you go, tithing is to give the first 10%. I get paid a salary, God, here's 10%. That's how Abel gave but how Cain gave, he said, Oof, I don't quite know what's going to happen this month. The kid might get sick or the dog might get sick. And you actually hope it's the kid because vets are more expensive than doctors, you know. And, uh, and, and so let me just see how my month goes. Let me just, I don't know exactly what my expenses are going to be this month. So let me just see how my month goes. And if I get to the end of the month and I've got some left over, then I'll give to God. What's amazing about this is both people gave an offering. One was acceptable, one wasn't. It's not that they didn't give, but they both gave. One was acceptable, one wasn't. Why? Because the one was from faith. God, I trust you that you're going to provide for me, and, and I trust you so much that I'll give before I know how it turns out for me. God, let me see how it turns out for me, and when I know how it turns out for me, then I'll give. Faith and no faith. And so it's called the principle of first fruits. Look at Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. There's a promise of God here that we can live up, that we can live and we can attain through faith. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Isn't it amazing you can honor God with your wealth? You can actually speak of his glory with it. And with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, there's every time there's increase. Another version says, first fruits of all your increase. Every time you increase, you get to act in faith. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Maybe barns and wine aren't your thing. But, you know, you can exchange. God knows what you need. And it's an amazing principle that God calls us out. And you might say, hey, where do we know this happens? Where else did it happen? You know, when Noah went through the flood, he came off the boat, and the first thing he did is, is when they went on the boat, they had you know, two animals of every kind, a male and a female. You know how this works. Um, but then of the, of the clean animals, now those animals that they were actually going to have herds and flock and shepherds like cattle and goats and all of those, there were six. And so they had a bigger breeding pool. Uh, and, and Noah takes some of the six, a portion of the six, and offers them to God in faith that God's going to provide more. 
And it's like another thing, example of faith. Abraham tithed. This is preceding the law. Abraham tithed as an act of faith in God. The Israelites, when they went into the promised land, the first city they conquered was Jericho. And God said, well, the first city, the, the spoil from the first city is mine. Thereafter, you can have the spoil. But what happens if we don't conquer any more cities? Faith. Every year, Israelites made a first fruit offering. So in the harvest season, not everything becomes ripe at once. And so what they would take is the first fruits that came, and they would give that to God, believing that more is going to come. But what happens if there's a massive hailstorm and all our fruit's gone? Well, that's faith. And in faith, God gave his first son so that he could reap or harvest many more sons and daughters. In faith, he sowed his son. Why? Because this faith allows us to enter into the promises, and in doing so, we actually partake of the very nature of God, who is generous, who never fears, who's able to live in a space of plenty and bounty because of who he is and who we connected with. And I want to be honest with you. I never get that excited to speak about money. I know that it's so often people struggle with this issue, and so often it gets voices, well, well who's preaching, and you don't know my situation, and you know it's fine for you to say that you're a pastor, people give you stuff all the time. Or, or how did I quite couch my phrasing, and... You know, the nature of the sermon and where's the money going? And there's all these questions that circulate. But the truth is, is that, A, Jesus spoke about the issue of finances more than any other issue. And that we would not be wise to avoid this. And I want to be really honest that some of my most amazing journeys with God have been in the realm of finances. There have been amazing adventures in this space, I have literally, God called me to give money, and I've literally hyperventilated as I gave it away. I don't know if that's faith or not. Um, and I've had money physically multiplied in my hand. I've traveled the world on faith, and I've cried out to God to remove fear from my heart because I knew I wasn't trusting in His promises. I've gone into a bank to fight with them because I believed I had too much money in my bank account. Can you imagine that day for the bank teller? Because normally it's the other way around. And, and I was saving for my wedding at that stage, and I was really in this faith place. And, and I looked at my bank, I was like, there's too much money. And I went and I said, you guys have made a mistake, because just now you're going to ask for money bank back, and I would have spent it on the wedding, and it would be bad. And I literally fought with them that there was too much money in my bank account. And I'm pretty good with money. Like, I generally know what's going on. And she convinced me that it was all mine. I've given away a car, and I've had God provide two more. And I've stood in an aisle in, a, in the shop asking God if I can buy cheese this month because I didn't have enough faith in that moment. Like I've lived the full range of experience on this issue. But here's the point is that God has adventures for us. And so often what happens in our journey is we, we, you know, we start out and then we hear about tithing and then you go, 10%. 
And maybe you, you make that step, and maybe you're not there, and then I, I would say to you, well, how much can you afford? I can afford 2%. Well, let's make it 4 Now you're in faith. And then you get to the point where you're tithing, and then eventually that just becomes what you do. You know, It's just kind of how you live, and it's not factored into the equation anyway, and so you don't feel it. And then God comes along and says, actually, I've got some more faith adventures for you. And then you go through a season like I did where God called me to give away a car and I did that. And then, I mean, that was like a hurdle. Like I wrestled with God and then God provided for me and I was like, ah, I've learned my lesson on faith. And then God says, you've got some more to go. How do you keep this conversation with God alive so that he has permission to keep inviting you into adventures? In faith. Because it's through faith in his promises that we enter into his very nature. I, I have an eight-month-old son. And generally, my wife is much better at feeding him than I am. And um, it's amazing sometimes, like, when I feed him, like, he just doesn't want to eat. And then what I have to do is he, he's got this awesome green bib that catches all the food that drops, but we've got two, so I go get one for me, and then I get some food for me, and then I just look at him, and he doesn't want to eat, doesn't want to eat, and then I just have to take a bite of my food, and he looks at me, and then I give him a spoon, and he'll eat. Because what he doesn't want to do by himself, he'll do with Dad. In the issue of finances... What you need to realize is God's not asking you to do it by yourself. You get to do this with dad. And that's the joy of it. Your father in heaven has an adventure for you in this area. And you get to live it with dad. And maybe you're going, hey, I don't want to do this thing by myself. But if I get to do it with dad and he speaks to me and he leads me and he encourages and I see him provide. Well, that's a different story. And so... I think, I mean, the, this, the stuff that uh, Banger mentioned around the crash at Wangu, it's an amazing thing to go, hey, God, I'm open. You